pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News, and this is the Jack Riccardi Show. Hey, Christian, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you as well. Busy day in the news business. I was uh, listening to all the latest about the uh, crypto king. Mm, yeah, yeah, that too. I would say <laughs> this about him. I'm no expert on the law or on cryptocurrency, but if I was Sam Bankman Freed, I would make absolutely sure there is a camera on in that Bahamas prison cell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, big time. If ever, right, I mean... The yep. least surprising headline you're ever going to hear in your life is if tomorrow, and I don't, you know, God forbid, but the tomorrow or day after tomorrow, oh, you know, we, no one expected this and we turned our back for a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this guy has made some powerful enemies. <laughs> because, Just a few, yeah. <laughs> because he gave a, not only do st- they're talking about how much how many people he stole money from it's it's staggering i mean there's like millions of people that he stole money but then the money the, the the real danger to him isn't some person like you or me that fell for this the uh-huh. real danger to him is these politicians to whom he gave the money that's where it gets pretty sticky yep like i'm hearing a lot of them say oh we had really hoped to have him testify oh had you had you really hoped to have mm-hmm. him testify before i don't think so i i think that's probably not true yeah the timing is i would say questionable but i mean it was supposed to be tomorrow su- right yeah are we surprised yeah <laughs> are we really yeah, no. surprised by no we're not this? really surprised no and boy if i had a nickel i could be the crypto king Christian, if I had a nickel for every person that's ever tried to tell me, oh, you need to get into this, you need to look into this, it's, you really need to learn how this works, this is the future of capitalism. You know what? This turns out to be, this isn't the future, this is the past. Mm-hmm. This guy is Ponzi, this guy is Madoff, this, is like the, this isn't a new thing, this is like the oldest story there is. It's just a new gift wrapping, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yep. All right, I know you have news work to do. Get back to you later on. Thank you, sir. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to our dreadful little show for Tuesday. Um, so that's happening. We'll talk about that. Um, if you have not heard, um, Sam Brinton is now out of a job. The uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary of Energy for spent uranium fuel or nuclear fuel or whatever the term is um, has been fired or has parted ways with the uh, Biden administration after at least two uh, alleged uh, suitcase thefts at airports. We've talked about this, right? Um, he's a 35-year-old um, non-binary person. They made a big, big deal of announcing his appointment, history-making, ceiling-shattering. He made a big deal out of that. And um, now there are two cases, one in Las Vegas and one in Minneapolis, where he's on tape, and they have him, you know, dead to rights, and he's walking away from uh, the place where you claim your, you know, your checked uh, luggage, 
with somebody else's luggage. And in both of these cases, he had not even checked luggage where you could say, did he just pick up the wrong bag? He just happened to pick up bags that were very expensive in their own right and contained women's clothing and uh, cosmetics and, and, and what have you. Uh, so he's he's wanted for this. Uh, they tried to defend him. He tried to defend himself. He tried to say, first he denied that he had done it. Then he said, well, if I have anything, I'll return it. And now, um, apparently, despite the best efforts of the Biden administration and of Sam Brinton to save uh, his, uh, his job, I guess it turns out he just had too much baggage. They just couldn't, uh, couldn't save him. Um, you do wonder in cases like this, because he had a sensitive job for which there was a security clearance. You do wonder in cases like this, did he really receive the scrutiny? I mean, every administration winds up appointing a few Lulus that shouldn't be in the position they're in. Every, every president does it. But did Sam Brinton not get the vetting, not get the background checking, not get the examination that might have, um, revealed some warning flags? Because they were so eager to have the first. They were so eager to make this symbolic uh, appointment. I, I, I think you have to wonder about that. I mean, logic suggests that might be what happened. The other thing I wonder about, imagine if, and, and I don't know if this is true of you or not, but imagine if you had never in your life met or known a non-binary person, and he was the first one. You're out there living your life, you don't know anything about this, you hear about this, you have to figure out what does that even mean, you look it up or you read or whatever, and you find out what non-binary is. Now, Sam Brinton becomes the first non-binary person you've ever met. See, this is the double-edged sword of politicians always trying to check off, we appointed the first, and we did the first, and we were the first, because you don't, if you get that wrong, it's the old, uh, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. So Sam Brinton, whatever the activist, uh, you know, culture thought he would do for them, Sam Brinton has done nothing but damage. He's done nothing but embarrass people like Sam Brinton. I, I guess I'm supposed to say they, not he, but I, I, it's difficult for me. Send me the bill for whatever the, the linguistic fine is. Um, so we got that going on. Um, we had more stuff come out about uh, Twitter uh, yesterday. You know what's starting to become pretty clear about these people that worked at Twitter before Elon Musk bought it um, is what spoiled little brats they really were. I, I mean, I know everybody's hung up on the, the 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 idea that they were censoring and it was politically all one way, and I, I get that, and I'm with you on that. I am. But when you really read the stuff they were saying, they're just little fascist brats. They're just they're they're on a power trip. And I'll give you an example. Uh, this is a a uh, tweet that, uh, or a, a, an email, I should say, that was sent the Saturday after January sixth. And they're talking about um, their plans for the new year. We absolutely plan to do this in 2021 with the timeline being as soon as possible. COVID is one disease. Medical misinformation is a much broader category of harmful content. We've laid out a lot of the groundwork for policy and product behavior through our work on COVID and the election. You hear that? 
in other words, COVID and the election have set them up for a model for the future. It says the misinfo the misinfo policy team in TNS, that was Yol's department, Yol Levy. Along with the folks in health experience, research, and other teams across the company are now focused on getting to a place of improved maturity in how our policies are actualized. We'll have more to share on this soon. These were people who were moving on. They've banned Trump. They controlled the narrative on COVID-19. And now they had ambitions to do much more. So don't fall for the, well, we had to impose curbs and we had to put on uh, limits because we were trying to protect the public for misinformation. You know, now in the aftermath, they're trying to make it sound like, hey, we hated to do this and we did it as, as little of it as possible. But the truth is they relished it and they were getting off on it. And they were enjoying and savoring their power. What's the? Let me read it again as they got to a place of improved maturity on how their policies are actualized. You know, if you work for a real company, nobody would know what the hell you were talking about. I want to play this for you. This is a uh, middle school teacher that was um, picked up by libs of TikTok. And she's talking about, um, you know, today they had the uh, Respect for Marriage Act signing at the White House with President Biden. This uh, middle school teacher is making fun of parents who want a say in how their kids are taught about gender and being non-binary and all of that. And, and, and so she is trying to say, you parents need to just back down and trust us. Let's take a listen to this. I have a thought. Now, I know the trolls are going to be like, uh-oh, she should have stopped there. But I'm not going to do that. So there's a lot of controversy about um, whether or not sex education, health education, relationships, gender, all that stuff should be taught in the classroom. Here's what I think. You, you as in parents, send their kids to school to learn math, reading, writing, history, science from a professional, right? But in the same token, a lot of people who do that also think that they're experts in sexuality education because they've had kids. With all due respect, just because you've had kids does not mean that you are a sexuality education expert. It does not mean you are an expert in sex. It does not mean you are an expert in the body. It does not mean you are an expert in gender. It does not mean you are an expert in relationships. So the same way that we're sending our kids to school to learn these skills, these life skills like math and quadratic equations and calculus and whatever else from a professional, we also need to be ensuring that our students are learning information about their health, about identity, about very complex issues from a professional. I mean, like, it, it makes sense. It makes mm. sense. Yeah, she's very professional with her three-inch uh, tapered nails. Listen, um, you'd have to see the video. Seeing the video makes it even better. Listen, can we just draw a line here and, and tell me if you agree or disagree? Let's draw a line here. Teachers, I, I am fine with you teaching how the body works, how the reproductive system works, the sperm and the egg and the, all of that. That do, do it. Go to it. We'll handle the values. We'll handle the life choices. Um, you don't have to be a relationship expert. 
or a an expert in sex to know what your values are, to know what you believe in, and to impart that to your children. We don't need you for that. We're not asking you. You were not invited. No one asked you to do that. No one voted on that. The high-handedness, this is why I hope TikTok doesn't go away and, 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 and libs of TikTok is such a valuable public service because the high-handedness of this lady, I don't know how many other people she speaks for or represents, but this is exactly what the last two years have revealed to us. When I went to school, when you went to school, they taught you in seventh grade biology or whatever year it was, the reproductive system. Yes, my parents could not have taught that. They don't, they did not know all of the language. They did not know all of the terminology. But what you learn from your family is what values you are being raised with and raised by. And if, and if that is not, uh, positive or your parents have sucky values or you don't have a lot of attention at home, I'm sorry. But we did not elect as the default a teacher in a classroom to make all of those choices for children. It is possible, you know, the naysayers will say, well, what if they don't get it at home? Okay, well, then they may not get it at home. I understand that. But we didn't choose for you people to uh, talk about sexuality and gender choices and pronouns. And, 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 and even if you believe you should, the way to come at that is with humility and to engage parents and say, may I? Here's what we'd like to do. We want to include you if you'll be included, but, but here's what we endeavor to do and we would wish to do for your, for your, for your child. Not for some agenda, not for some uh, grand, you know, social scheme or vision of how things ought to be in the world, which is what all of this is, right? It's all ideology. But that's not what happened. That's not what's happening. She's making fun of you. Who do you think you are? Oh, you think because you had sex and produced a child, now you should be able to talk to your child about this? <laughs> uh, yes, actually, I do. KTSA, Jack McCarty, late afternoon show. You can jump in here at 210-599-5555. We've got a new JR poll we're going to dig into here. Uh, we've got uh, possibly uh, an interesting development in the Idaho murders case, and we're going to talk to a uh, retired New York Police Department sergeant, and uh, now he's a professor of criminal law. Uh, he's been with us before, Joe Jocalone. He's going to join the show next hour. Um and uh, many other things coming up here as we go along through the afternoon. We're keeping a tab on all the breaking news. And, uh, again, your calls at 210-599-5555. I mean, I, I, I don't really know if it's just me, but there is something um, really kind of hilarious about these videos where teachers smugly, smarmily uh, tell parents, to uh, mind their own business. How do you think you got the kids? <laughs> Did the stork bring them? And, and who do you think is paying your salary? Yeah, that would be us. So, newsflash: you're going to have to. You're going to have to hear from us. 
Five minutes ago, the message from public educators was, we want parental involvement. Oh, how the times have changed. I remember for years, when I was a kid, they would tell our parents that, please get involved. Our door is always open. We want you involved. We need you. Come sit in the classroom. They used to say, my brother was in trouble in school a lot. Come sit in the classroom, they used to say. Now, you go to Libs of TikTok, and it's mind your own business, you dolts. We've got your kid. We'll decide what gender they are. Send them back to you, all straightened out. I mean, where are you getting this idea? With what mandate are you are you doing this? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. The president signed the Respect for Marriage Act today, and invited to the ceremony, uh, among many other um, luminaries, a drag queen story hour performer named Marty Cummings. Nothing says respect for marriage like a drag queen. I'm gonna tell you. Great optics there. Um, the uh, background on Marty Cummings is interesting. Uh, back in March, uh, Marty uh, tweeted out, uh, the kids are here to sing and suck D. Which I'll leave you to figure out what that means. Um, but see, there's always, there's, you know, you're always going to have weirdos and wackos. We've always had them. We always will. But now we're inviting them to White House ceremonies. Now we're appointing them to sensitive positions in the federal government. Now we're decorating events that are dubbed respect for marriage with them. What exactly is that all about? I mean, that, that's kind of the opposite of respect for marriage. And, you know, I don't want to belabor the point about drag queens. I've said this before. I, I really don't know how women are not getting more aggravated with this. It's not for me to be offended on the behalf of women, but um, when women look at drag queens, do they understand that 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 is some guy's idea of how you look? That is some guy's idea of of, um, basically portraying you. I've never seen a woman who put on makeup like that, who dressed like that, I'm an actual woman. I would think it would be offensive. I don't know. I mean, it's not for me to, it's not for me to decide. By the way, the um, Cambridge Dictionary has, um, for its new edition, changed the definition of woman. Um, so the new Cambridge Dictionary definition of woman an adult who lives and identifies as female, though they may have been said to have a different sex at birth. Wow. That is a circuitous sentence. An adult who lives and identifies as female, though they may have been said to have a different sex at birth. Remember years ago when you would debate some issue that touched on or involved feminism or the feminist movement, women would call the show. I think every talk show host had this experience. I know I did. And they would they would get whatever I had said or whatever opinion I had, of course I was wrong, and they would get angry with me. And they would say, you don't know. 
You've never been a woman. You've never had a menstrual cycle. You've never had a baby. You've never had a glass ceiling at work. You've never had to deal with what we have to deal with. You've never been catcalled walking past a construction site. Well, you don't know that. Maybe I have. But seriously, they were very uh, specific and insistent that you, Jack, or you, whatever guy was opining, you can't know these things. You can't have an opinion about these things. We've gone from that to the dictionary saying a woman is just anybody who says they are. Again, I, I, I'm asking, where, where, are, where is the outrage among women? You're being defined out of existence. If this catches on, I know it's just the dictionary, you know, no biggie. I mean, if this catches on, you're gonna, you're not gonna exist. You're just gonna be a version of, of men. By the way, they've also redefined man. An adult who lives and identifies as male, though they may have been said to have a different sex at birth. Oh, see, they just took the same definition. 210-599-5555, and Ann is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Ann, good afternoon. Hey, Jack, how are you doing today, sir? Good, thank you. How are you? Awesome. Well, I'm doing great. Um, I don't really care about drag queens, so as a woman, they don't really bother me. Um, I was calling in about the uh, identifying as a woman is who's a man and who could be a man or a tree or whatever. Anyway, um, my kids are as white as Wonder Bread, so when they went to college, I said, y'all need to identify as a minority community member so we can get scholarships. Because if everybody can identify whatever they want to identify us, why can't mm-hmm. my kids identify as Hispanic mm-hmm. or African American or whatever? Right. I mean, I mean, it's sarcastic, obviously, but I mean, it's kind of silly and stupid to me. You know, right. it's a lot of energy wasted around stuff that it just makes certain people feel good. So, well, I mean, anyway. it, it, I know you meant it sarcastically, but I, I really don't know why a person couldn't say that. Yeah. Well, if why you not? can, I mean, if you, if you can declare yeah. gender, which is science based. Why couldn't Absolutely. you declare that you've lived the life of a Native American? Right. So I can get some scholarship money, you know. Um, and we didn't do it, but, yeah, that to me, they can't have it both ways. So, like, you're always saying, well, you can't understand what it's like to be an African American because you never were one. Well, the same. you can use the same argument when I want to be a woman now because I was a man and now I'm a woman. You know what I'm saying? It just... The hypocrisy of it to me just is just laughable. Well, and I guess I, I mean, you're being good natured about it, but I guess I'm just kind of amazed that there aren't more women saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, we can't let this keep going because you, for the longest time, the, the, the slogan of women was, we, there are things only we can do. Absolutely. And, you know, Absolutely. you, you have not been through the things that we've been through. You don't get it. You guys don't understand. I mean, all that is being erased, and it's being erased by the very people that used to be your uh, champions. You know, the the, the left was the was the champions of the feminist movement. Well, do do you yeah, see where this yeah. is going? I mean, by the no, time your kids yeah, grow up, they won't have this identity. Right. Well, and I have girls who are in their twenties, and I'm, something about that generation under thirty five or so, they're just so confused about all kinds of stuff because, as they as you said before. They weren't educated about history. They don't know how the government works. And, and, and my kids went to private school, so I thought they were getting it. But obviously something didn't take. So, 
you know, they they say that democracy is one generation away from just disappearing. Well, I I'm concerned what's going to happen when my kids to be, get to be my age. Yeah. Is the United States still going to look like what it looks like today? You know. So I'm trying to be good natured because it's very frustrating, but right. um, I'm not sure what the answers are. Um, I just try to make changes in my little part of the world, and, right. and if I change people's minds, that's great. And if not, I know I did my best. So. Anyway. Well, I think your kids are lucky to have you, Ann, and I appreciate well, what you're, you're calling. You're I think, thank you so much. I think, I think you have the right attitude about this. Thank you. Thank you for calling us. Uh, 210-599-5555. Look, when I was in my 20s, I was confused about many things. Um, and when it came to women, my, my confusion was mainly, um, how, how do I get them? <laughs> I spent a great deal of time on that issue. I worked on that uh, extensively. Uh, but I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be in your 20s and and have this um, fog around the genders themselves and, and the definitions and, and pronouns. And it was confusing enough. I mean, you remember, right, if you're around my age. You, you remember it was confusing enough just as a guy, like, trying not to say the wrong thing or trying to say things that would make a girl like you or if you were a girl, make you know, make a guy like you. I mean... That that was that was enough. That was more than enough for us. You know that taxed us to our limit, um, and and that was the you know that was the per, we were the pursuit of the opposite sex was the was the main thing. Um, I can honestly say this probably makes me sound very shallow, but um, one one of the main things that made me want to be a disc jockey was that. I knew women would call in and request songs, and there wasn't any other way I could see that women were ever going to be calling me. You know, my phone when my phone rang, it was never a young woman my age. So I took a job where I thought I might have a, a crack at that. But I mean, to go from that in, in the blink of an eye to the dictionary saying, "Well, we give up. We really can't explain what constitutes man and woman and." And then to have these teachers say, oh, you know, you need to just leave it to us. No, we have this problem because we left it to you. We're, we're, we're taking it back from you. And we shouldn't have to homeschool our kids or send them to a private school. And I'm not knocking private schools, but let's be honest. Let's just get this out on the table, all right? If you're sending your kid to a private school, you are paying for his or her education twice. Twice. I just saw today my mortgage company sent me the the chipper little email about the uh they took the tax out of the escrow for uh for Bear County and and all the other assessments and everything, okay? And it's it's eye popping. You, you you can do it and maybe you're doing it right now and maybe you're wondering, well why does anybody if if they're listening to you, Jack, why would anybody send their kids these pro- because we shouldn't have to do that. We shouldn't have to do that. Now, if it's coming to that, it's coming to that. But that should not. I'm going to go to my, you know, grave saying you ought to be able with a school system that you pay for, whose teachers are paid with your tax dollars. And we've never had a vote. We never invited them into our personal or, or, um, faith lives. We never, we never said, okay, we give up, uh, you, you, you tell them whether they're boys or girls. We never did that. Should not have to pull them out of those systems. Those systems are supposed to respond to us. Good luck with that, Jack. 
210-599-5555. Looks like Ronna McDaniel is on uh, what is being described um, at Axios.com as a glide path to a fourth term as chairman of the Republican National Committee. What a great job Ronna McDaniel has done. It's been great. Boy, those midterms were fantastic for the Republicans. Good job, Ronna. Yes, of course you're rehired. Um, absolutely. So let's look back. Ronna has been on the gig since 2017. Uh, the Democrats won a landslide in the 2018 midterms. They won the presidency in 2020. They took over the Senate in 2020. And then they uh, held the Senate and lost just a few seats in the House in 2022, which historically is the opposite of what should have happened. I don't think they even quite know how they pulled that off. And I know the Texas Republican Executive Committee has already said they don't want her, they're not going to support her being uh, reelected as RNC chair. Uh, but there really isn't anybody of a, of a major caliber stepping up to challenge her. So I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm not telling you what to do. But if you are going around calling yourself a Republican or you refer to yourself as a Republican, just know that this loser is leading the party you are identifying with and has done nothing but run it into the, you know, fly it into the mountain. I, I would not get on the plane if Ronna McDaniel was the pilot. That's all I'm saying. I'm not telling you what to do, just pointing that out. And of course, um, the Republicans are cobbling together. Uh, it's a bipartisan thing. A um, immigration uh, reform bill, which is basically a terrible answer to the one issue that Republican voters have pretty consistently now for several years indicated uh, their their feelings on. I mean, I, other than maybe guns, there is really nothing that Republicans across the country are more consistent and clear on than they, they don't want amnesty. They don't want open borders, and they don't want amnesty. And the whole reason you got Trump, whether you love him or hate him, is because the Republican poobahs of the, of the time were ignoring you on that. And now here they are putting together a compromise bill that would grant 10 million illegal immigrants amnesty. We're going to talk about that. Um, let's see what you think about that, how you feel about that. 210-599-5555. Join the show at 210-599-5555. Joining the show right now is the publisher of TexasScorecard.com, Michael Quinn Sullivan, on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. Always good to have you, Michael. I wanted to get to a couple of things with you here in just the few minutes that we have. Um, when Governor Abbott was running for re-election, he pledged that half of the state's budget surplus would be paid toward or, or given toward property tax relief. I don't know how much of a factor that was in his re-election, but I'm sure that sounded good to a lot of long-suffering Texas taxpayers. Uh, that's apparently not a sentiment shared by his fellow Republicans. 
Yeah, well, I, I would suggest it's probably shared by a lot of Republican taxpayers and even Democrat well, yeah. taxpayers. Yeah. You believe the polling, uh, but certainly uh, the Republicans that have the honorable in front of their name might have some disagreements. Uh, House Speaker Dade Phelan, a Republican from Beaumont, um, has said maybe about three billion. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has gone back and forth, saying, "Oh, maybe three or four billion," and then agreeing with the governor, saying half, which would be about thirteen of the twenty-seven billion. And now, just recently, has kind of cycled back to suggesting uh, some some lower expectations mm. for for voters. And you know, the, the legislature obviously is going to a lot of those members ran on significant, both Republicans and Democrats, by the way, ran on doing significant property tax. Like Texas has the fourth highest property tax burden in the nation. Um, and, and I think a lot of folks are recognizing that needs to be addressed. I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm old-fashioned, Michael, but I remember when to be a Republican almost automatically meant <laughs> that you were in favor of cutting taxes. That, that almost didn't even have to be said. What's happening here? Yeah, well, look, you know, for, for, for a variety of reasons, the property tax system is incredibly complex. You don't have one property tax. Everyone who owns their own home or their business property known, you have dozens in some cases of property taxes levied against your property. So it's very complex. Um, add to it that, uh, that, that by spending, quote unquote, state money to lower your local school property taxes, that means lawmakers have to do the one thing they hate doing which is uh, pitting property tax relief for the citizens with spending that in many cases ends up benefiting political donors mm. or uh, you know, politically engaged uh, groups within their, uh, within their legislative districts. Uh, so there's you know, a whole lot of taxpayers who would, who would like the relief, but there's also a lot of people who benefit from the spending. And until the taxpayers speak up louder, uh, mm. those people benefiting from the current spending will keep getting their spending. The other thing that uh, you, you folks are reporting on today, and I've been reading a lot of stories we all have about foreign ownership and foreign purchases of farmland across the country, including in Texas. There is a bill in the next legislature that would single out uh, companies and buyers from China, North Korea, Russia, Iran, uh, from buying um, Texas farmland, can you um, is it is it constitutional to make a list of people who are not allowed to buy land that's on the open market? Uh, you know, actually, it is uh, surprisingly. I think to a lot of folks, uh, not only is it uh, does it fall within the purview of the state government. You see that in in some of the other states as well. I believe it's now up to nine states that have taken this sort of action and a couple others like Florida uh, that is contemplating doing so in their upcoming legislative session. Uh, principally, these are going after China. Um, uh, Lois Colcourse, a state senator from Brenham, Texas, is the one who has filed this legislation. Um, we've done a lot of research on this at Texas Scorecard uh, in terms of the, of the potential threat here in a series we did this summer, um, finding that you have a lot of uh, land that's been bought up by uh, both in Texas and around the country uh, by either citizens of China or companies that are controlled by China. And, and, and this will probably not surprise anyone to learn in many cases, this land is being purchased mm. adjacent to military installations. Um, and, or at least close enough to military installations where over-the-horizon mapping could mm -hmm. give 
for those foreign elements who want it. Uh, really detailed looks at what's going on um, in Texas in, in Texas and the United States interior um, uh, military facilities. And those are uh, the, that should be troubling to all of us as Americans. Uh, Sid Miller, the agriculture commissioner for Texas, put it really well in a conversation. He said, you know, at some point, patriotism has to trump our bottom line. And I think that that's probably the question that's going to be debated by a legislator. So Lois Colcourse has said this is her top priority going into the legislative session. She's got a lot of stroke in the Texas Senate, and I suspect that uh, lawmakers aren't going to be able to get out of at least having Mm. the discussion this year. Interesting. Find out more about all of this at texasscorecard.com. It's a daily read uh, for us on this show. And Michael Quinn Sullivan, publisher, thank you for coming on. As always, I appreciate it. Thanks, Jack. All right, we'll talk to you again soon. I'm trying to understand this, Christian. I live on a corner, and, um, you know, I like my neighbors. I'm not some angry old man on the front porch, you know. (laughs) Everything's good. It's a nice neighborhood. Uh, I walk the dog now before the show because it's too dark Mm -hmm. after the show. Yeah. And I accept I have given up the fight that because I live on the corner and I have this big side yard, people are sometimes letting their dogs, you know. Yeah, right. Okay. It's not right, and I've 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 actually caught people like in mid delivery, and it's always funny to me because when you catch people, and the dog has assumed the position, then they get all they get in the they're oh they're going to pick it up and they up, out comes the little baggie and the whole thing. But you can tell by looking at them, if you hadn't come out at that moment, they were just going to leave. You know. Yeah, I'm glad you clarified that because you said when you were catching people in the act, I was wondering. Yeah, make no, sure. I don't mean that. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. catching them with their dog in the act. Because yeah. <laughs> you know. that was but they, a they put on that whole. Oh, well, of course, I'm going to immediately, you know, get right on this. <laughs> I'm like, what I'm like, street yeah, right, corner whatever, do okay. you live on? <laughs> but this is what I. This is my question. This is what I don't understand. If you're going to let your dog go, and you're not going to pick it up, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. I do not understand people that put it in the bag. Then leave the bag. Oh, really? What is that? Yeah, I don't know about that because, you know, my wife being from Spain, um, there's not a lot of grass there. Okay. You just don't have the yards like you do in the Uh U.S. You know, if you do have one, it's tiny. So it's a big deal. Pick up after your dogs. And so she's, she's done this for so long. It's become normal to me, but I've never seen anyone go ahead and put it in a bag. And are you saying they just leave it there? They leave the bag. <laughs> you don't get credit for that. That's not no, how it you works. Don't. Like no. you, the, ju- let me explain. The bag is supposed to go with you. Yes. You're not DoorDash. You don't get points for leaving. In fact, it's worse if you leave it in the bag. I mean, if you leave, if and we don't want to get too graphic, but I mean, if you leave it in the grass. It's fertilizer. Contained. Yes, eventually nature. But if you put it in the bag, now I got to pick it up. It's a double environmental catastrophe. You know, what? how hard is this? This is not complicated. I've never heard of this If you go to the trouble to put it in the bag, you've already done the hard part. And if you've wrapped it up correctly, you do it my way. They wife, tie the can, knot. They yeah, tie you, the knot in the bag. I'm like, you can put it you, in your purse, stuff it in your that's pocket, the whatever. Easy part. Just, just carry it. You know, I mean, <laughs> what a dilemma. <laughs> it, 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 well, I mean, if this is my worst problem, right? I mean, I'm, I've got a good life. It's but true. yeah, I, I would love to have somebody explain what is the thinking. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. What is the thinking about about doing the bagging? and then leaving the bag uh, because forever in a day, as, as as Christian pointed out, this is an age old. 
issue in neighborhoods, and there, there have been attempts over the years. I, I've seen, I never lived in a place like this, but I know there are neighborhoods where they've said, we're going to do DNA uh, testing, we're going to find out who the culprit is. I don't want to do that. I'm not, I'm not interested in that. And I think most people are, are responsible about this stuff. I, I, I've got it narrowed down in my neighborhood. There's a, there's a couple of Lulus that, that I think are probably the, the, the culprits here. But, but okay, it, it either, either pick it up and take it, which is the right thing to do. Or if you're going to leave it, just leave it, which is not the right thing to do. But don't bag it and leave the bag. I don't, I don't get that thinking. 210 599 5555. And one time I did ask a woman because I saw her do it. And she said, Well, I don't want to carry the bag. I, well, neither do I. You know, if you leave it, I'm going to have to carry it to my, you know, trash receptacle. So it's, it, this is not complicated. This should be very, very simple, right? Can we, can we hammer this out? This isn't, you know, Middle East peace. Uh, 210-599-5555. Also coming up, uh, we're going to talk about this, uh, absolutely crazy idea the Republicans have. First thing out of the gate in the new Congress, they want to do an amnesty, uh, bill for illegal immigrants. Um, it's a bipartisan bill. Is this what you sent them to Washington to do? We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about a new development in the University of Idaho murder case that, uh, is now over a month old, uh, the unsolved mystery of those four co-ed uh, killings. So all of that is coming up. Uh, Michelle is calling in at 210-599-5555. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Jack. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? Doing good, doing good. I was calling in because one of the things that I've seen, if you've ever been over to Schnabel Park and walked along the paths, people do the same thing. They will, and I take my dogs over there, they will pick up the poop, put it in a bag and then throw it in the woods. And nothing drives me crazier than to see that. And uh, it's just, I don't understand it myself. But yeah. Look, it's not pleasant to carry the bag with you on your no. walk. I've had to do it. I had a German Shepherd. You want to talk about having a lot yeah. to carry, you know. Right. Uh, yeah. But I you mean, do I it. Take my dog, yeah, and I take my, dog, I take my dog over there. And if I'm walking on the paths, you know what? You got deer and everything. Just let your dog go. Right. <laughs> Don't worry yeah. about it. You know. Yeah, leave, leave the bag so, out of it if that's what you're going to do. Yeah. Absolutely. Simple. Absolutely. Makes sense. Yeah. Thanks, Michelle. Um, why are people bagging it and then leaving it? Is what I'm trying to figure out. Uh, Ted is on KTSa. Hi, Ted. Hi, Jack. They're just lazy, Jack. And and there's there's an even uh, there's there's kind of a growing problem apparently uh, around the city where. It's not that they bag it and leave it. They bag it and they drop it off in someone else's recycle bin. Oh, bin. Yeah, yeah. You know what happens when that happens? Yeah. You get, you, you, they don't pick up your recycle. Yeah, you, you get, get a ticket. Fine. Yeah. You get a ticket. But, but listen, how is it lazy? I mean, the lazy thing would be to just do nothing. If you're bending down, putting it in the bag, tying a knot in the bag, You've already done the hardest part. It's just lazy, Jack. I, I live by a I live by one of the greenways, and yeah. when we go walking down the greenway, uh, it's about every twelve feet on either side of the greenway. You're going to see yeah. a big pile that they didn't even bother to pick up. Which, yeah. by the way, is also a city ordinance, and it's prosecutable uh, yeah. to allow your pet to leave leavings and then just walk away from it. People are funny. Ted, thank you. I appreciate hearing from you. Um, yeah, I, I'm just, I, I don't know if anybody else has noticed it or if it happens in your neighborhood, but, uh, I, I really, I had made peace with the, 
they're not picking it up. They're leaving it in the grass. I, I have to watch when I mow. I, either I pick it up or if nature's already kind of done its thing, you just kind of rake it into the soil. I mean, it's, you know, not the, not, not the end of the world. I'm not freaking out about it. But, but the, 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 the mysterious part, the part that's got me, like, pondering this is that you would, you know, you would let it happen, which is rude. I mean, it's clearly a yard. It's not my, you would not mistake my yard for a green space or a green belt or whatever. It's, it's obviously a house. You'd let your dog do it, then you would put it in a bag, and then you would leave the bag. It's, you know, like uh, like they're donating it, or they're calling attention to it, I guess. Like, oh, look, look what we left. Surprise, you know, when you get home. Jack Riccardi, your calls at 210-599-5555. We're joined on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line by Ira Melman, who's media director at FAIR, Federation for American Immigration Reform. Um, we were talking about this, uh, uh, Ira, earlier on the show. It, it's, it's kind of a puzzler. If there's one thing Republican voters have been clear about uh, with their own party, uh, it is immigration. It is the border. In fact, it, it, it's even pretty clear that a lot of new Republican voters in the last cycle uh, came over because of the crisis along our southern border. And yet here you have in the new Congress a bipartisan bill uh, aimed at and, 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 and quite proud of it uh, doing amnesty for 10 million illegal immigrants. Where, where is this coming from in the Republican Party? Well, it is coming primarily from Tom Tillis, who has always been sort of the uh, amnesty wing of the Republican Party. And by the way, this is not the new Congress. This is still the old Congress. They're trying to squeeze this through under the lame duck session, where you have a lot of members who are no longer accountable because they're leaving Congress. Mm. Uh, and, you know, it, it is across the board. We actually did exit polling after the uh, elections last month. Uh, we asked people what their priorities were when it came to immigration policy. Half of the country uh, said that securing the border should be job number one. 8.8% said amnesty for illegal immigrants should to be the top priority. So it, it, there's just it, straight across the board. There is support now for enforcing the border because people see on a daily basis what is happening down there. It keeps getting worse and worse. Uh, the answer to this is not granting amnesty to large numbers of people who came here illegally. It is doing the basic job of securing the border, securing this, uh, the, the country uh, against the number of people who are coming into this country. We have no idea who they are. We know that the drug cartels are using uh, those open borders to bring in deadly narcotics into the United States. More than 100,000 people die of fentanyl in this country every year. It comes across that border. That's what the American public wants, not uh, some amnesty at, at the last minute when half, not half, but you know, a good number of people in Congress are no longer accountable to anybody. I was also puzzled, and correct me if I have this wrong, but I thought I read that the Border Patrol Council is endorsing this uh, Tillman Cinema bill. Why would they be doing that? Well, I, you know, the, I can only surmise is that part of the bill promises them pay raises, and they do deserve pay raises. You know, these people are working incredibly hard under dangerous and stressful conditions, and they deserve uh, to be paid better. 
but not at the expense of creating an even greater problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I think the Tillis and uh, Kirsten Cinema uh, were kind of shrewd in kind of throwing a bone to the Border Patrol Union saying that there's uh, raises in there for youth. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, the bottom okay. line is they ought, to, they ought to get the raises, but we don't need to give amnesty to millions of people. Yeah, no, that makes sense, and I, I did not know that that provision was in it. That would that would be a logical uh, explanation. So, uh, for somebody listening to this conversation right now, Ira, and let's say they're not very political, and uh, you know they're they're more pragmatic than ideological, what would your organization's solution or response be to the fact that there are? For whatever reasons and for whatever failures, there are millions of people living here illegally. What, what do you do if you don't do amnesty? What do you do? Well, for right now, what we need to do is stop the influx. Once we have the borders under control, once we have a rational system in place uh, and an administration that is actually prepared to enforce the law, and this administration has been sabotaging immigration enforcement for the past two years, once that's in place, then we can start talking about how we deal with individual subsets of the 15 or 16 million people who are in the country illegally. Uh, So, you know, if you were to move ahead now, and offer amnesty uh, on top of everything else that is going on. This mm. would just be one mm. more inducement for people to come here illegally, take a chaotic situation, and just exacerbate it. Well, that is a great point, uh, and I think that's a, a very strong argument. In other words, you can't send any signal that in any way encourages what is already an out-of-control situation. Right. This administration has sent many signals encouraging people to come illegally. And look what's happening. You, you, you know, we have three million people coming across that border last year. We're going to set a new record in this fiscal year. Uh, it just keeps getting worse and worse. And every time you add a new incentive, you're going to see more people taking you up on the offer. You know, something that my callers say to me a lot here, where we're just a couple of hours away from the border, is they wish that every American appreciated the humanitarian crisis this represents. I mean, y- yes, there's the law. Yes, there's there's the economics of it. But I, I really don't think we have successfully conveyed to the rest of the country, A, what unfettered illegal immigration does to border communities. And secondly, these uh, illegal immigrants themselves are in many cases victims and are in a very bad way. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the Border Patrol estimates that about a third of the women who are coming across that border have been sexually abused along the way. I mean, that, that is just disgraceful. Uh, and it's really happening because this administration is encouraging it. You have to remember, the people who are running these smuggling operations are the criminal cartels in Mexico. They don't care about human life. They don't care about the safety of the people. All they care about is the money that they're going to make. Uh, they are, in many cases, using the migrants as diversions. Uh, you know, they'll send a whole group of migrants across the border. The Border Patrol has to go deal with them. Then they bring in a few miles down the road a whole bunch of fentanyl and other lethal narcotics. So it is just sacrificing the interest, not just of the migrants, but the safety of people in our own country. Uh, it is a humanitarian disaster at every level, and they're trying to sell this as somehow yeah. noble that we care about it, these people. We, you know, nobody uh, who advocates for an open border really cares about the welfare of these people because all you have to do look is look what's going on yeah yeah no i think that's well said ira melman keep up the great work at federation for american immigration reform fair appreciate your time today thank you pleasure thank you 
San Antonio's 550 and 1071 KTSA, Jack Riccardi, late afternoon show, and you can join the show at 210-599-5555. The JR poll question today, how much of the state's $27 billion surplus should go to property tax relief? Tell me what you think. You can also vote at KTSA.com. Um, as we mentioned, it's been now a month since the murders at the University of Idaho. Today, police say they are still getting tips. Uh, but there is increased frustration in the university community and certainly among the uh, families of these uh, victims. Fox News is reporting tonight that a convenience store clerk uh, on her own, uh, under, I guess, her own uh, you know initiative, uh, started reviewing surveillance tape and now has uh, shown to police what she believes is a suspicious vehicle uh, in the area at the time, it's kind of amazing that that would be coming only a month. I mean, after after a whole month, that they would just now be getting to that. Uh, Joseph Jacalone is a former New York Police Department sergeant and a professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. He's been with us many times before. Joins us on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. Professor, good to have you back. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jack. How are you? Very good, thank you. Um, I guess it's, you know, glass half full, glass half empty. I mean, is it, you know, to hear some people talk, it's outrageous that they don't have uh, a suspect or any apparent leads. Uh, Other people say, uh, hey, it's not a television show. These things don't get wrapped up in 59 minutes. What is your read on the, the time frame now that it's been a month since these murders? Well, I think they had a, a lot of, DNA evidence that they had to go through. I mean, when you think about the horrific killings that you're dealing with, you're talking about four people, you're talking about a very large house, and then you're talking about waiting for your DNA results to come back, and then they have to be sifted through. Now, you also have to take in mind that this is a college house, so there's probably lots of mixtures and other kinds of DNA that they would find in that house, too, that they would then have to further you know, mm-hmm. get granular on it and, and, and keep on going with that. So that's some of the issue that they, they're dealing with for sure. It does seem like the nature of these murders is, um, I mean, it, it seems very uh, intense, which would suggest personal, and yet you, you keep reading that the community is very worried as if this is a serial killer or a random act that could strike again at any time. A- any Any thoughts on that or hunches on that? Well, we are victimized by someone we know most of the time. So anytime you're dealing with the, with a case, you always think about somebody who's close to the victim or, or, in this case, victims. But you also have to take into consideration the use of a knife, right, which shows you an up-close-and-personal weapon, mm-hmm. which shows mm-hmm. lots of rage and violence. And generally, it's people that we know. Uh, strangers usually don't get that mad at us. So, mm-hmm. I mean, those are the kind of things that you start off with as an investigator and then as the evidence comes in, you know, you let that dictate your theory and not the other way around. Right, right. Uh, see, I'm that kind of person that, that a guy like you hates because I re- read the books, I watch the true crime shows. But one thing that, that struck me was I can't remember typically a, a person that is just, you know, serial killing doesn't go all the way into your house 
and and kill multiple victims at once. Isn't it usually the the mo of a serial killer to lure you onto their turf? Well, you know, serial killers usually pick out a specific excuse me a specific type of individual that they're looking for, whether it's you know hair color, whether you know man woman that kind of thing. It's right. generally that way. But you got to remember too, there was two two other women that were left alive in that uh, uh that, those apartments over there too. Mm. So. Mm-hmm. I think this was more of a situation where somebody was going in there with an intended target. Yeah. He might not have found it immediately and then went on to the next room until he found what he was looking for. So, in other words, maybe stopped killing once the person he intended to kill was killed. Yes, that's what I think. I mean, why leave two other people uh, in the house that could have, that could have been potential witnesses, right? So that's the kind of uh, situation that I would be looking into uh, right or wrong. It's just something that you go with just by the fact that myself and really nobody else other than the police know exactly what really happened in that, in that house. It, in, in saying as you did that usually killers are known to their victim and vice versa. And with what you've pointed out in this case, does it make it easier to uh, clear a case when you are looking at someone that is going to have a connection? I mean, it must be much harder when you're trying to figure out the psyche of a random or spree killer, right? Sure. Strangers uh, really give investigators fits, right? So that's why, you know, most of the time, like I said, when you're dealing with it, it is somebody in that inner circle or just on the on the outside of that. Uh, things such as, you know, social media records and Internet records and cell phone records could also prove to be very helpful in this case because you're really de- dealing with a rural area. Uh, you had that one that one convenience store with the video there, and I'm sure there's a bank in the neighborhood. You know, ATM machines always run, you know, 24 hours, those those cameras, so they might have other va- angles or it. And listen, they have a car that they're looking for. I'm sure they've been to the university. Generally, everybody has to register your car at the university mm-hmm. uh, to park in those locations, you know. And if you're dealing with an old mile, an old, you know, model car like an Elantra like that too it might be a little still labor intensive but the DMV might be able to help them out too so in the in the grand scheme of things is a month really a very short amount of time for the amount of work you say they have to do and all the things they have to go through or does a month seem like uh the trail is growing cold and and you're getting pessimistic no i listen i am concerned about the fact that you know we are dealing with this into a month but if you just take into consideration the volume of things that you're dealing with in this house and, and, the, and the fact that you had four murders. Uh, I think that uh, they're dotting their I's and they're crossing their T's. We know that they've, you know, did things like bag the hands and those kind of things. So hopefully that there's some DNA captured underneath it. And just remember that if they have to get a DNA exemplar from somebody, that will also take uh, a, a long time to get. When you have the, the in, in the modern era of 24-hour news and the continuous news cycle, um, is that make the kind of work you d- used to do harder or easier? Because on the one hand, you can get the, you know, you can certainly circulate a sketch or a description. But on the other hand, you must get exponentially more crank calls or people that think they're being helpful, but really aren't, you know, just adding to the volume of work, right? Well, yes. I mean, I dealt with this when I used to do this, right? The media plays a, a role in helping you out as the cops, for sure. But I think. One of the issues that you, that the police department is dealing with is this the uh, the true crime community. Now, there's a time and a place for everything, and many people there, and you know, intending to do good, but there are a lot of people that might be jamming up the tick lines with bits of information that are just you know running them wild. They, you have to remember every tip that comes in 
they have to answer it out somehow. Yeah. They just can't say, yeah. well, that that sounds like nonsense. So that could be, you know, bogged down, and they're really, I think, fighting that kind of thing because they almost seem to be doing some of their press conferences, answering questions out from the true crime community and not from the actual reporters or journalists out there. Yeah, no, fair point. Uh, Joseph Jacalone, uh, John Jay College of Criminal Justice. Always appreciate it. Thanks for coming on tonight. Thanks for having me. Frosty the Snowman was a jolly happy soul With his corncob pipe and a button nose And two eyes made out of coal Frosty the Snowman is a fairy tale they say He was made of snow but the children know How he came to life one day There must have been some magic in That old silk hat they found for when they placed it on his head, he began to dance. Yeah, there you go. KTSA, Jack here. And you can join the show at 210-599-5555. We talked about him a bit yesterday as we had just received the news uh, about the health crisis for legendary college football coach Mike Leach. He did uh, come off uh, life support and passed away uh, this morning, the Mississippi State head football coach. Uh, passing away at the age of 61. Um, it's just incredible to me because I feel like just yesterday, it was a couple of weeks ago, I was watching him coach. Uh, they had their big uh, in-state rivalry game with Ole Miss, which he won, called the Egg Bowl. And uh, they were getting ready to play. I, I don't remember the name of the bowl game that Mississippi State is in, but they 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 qualified for a bowl game, a postseason game, and now their head coach has, has died. Um but he, he was really quite a unique character in the ranks of college football. And I guess that's that could be said both as a compliment or a criticism because he had his detractors. He left, uh, well, he left Texas Tech um, and Washington State uh, somewhat under a cloud and had had good success these last few years at Mississippi State um, and has been in coaching for a long time. He got his start. Uh, or, or one of his first jobs at Kentucky, and he was under a very innovative uh, coach, much like Mike Leach turned out to be, a guy named Hal uh, Mummy. And um, the tree from that program produced Leach and a lot of other uh, future head coaches and coordinators, and now Mike Leach has created that tree, if you will. There's a lot of people that are going to come out of his uh, staffs and his programs, whether in, in Mississippi or in Washington. And, um, I think we're going to have Mike Leach, uh, disciples, you know, coaching for a long, uh, long time. One of the interesting things about him that I don't think a lot of non college football fans would have known is that unlike most of these college football coaches, Mike Leach didn't play college football. And in fact, he had a very unusual career path. He was a lifelong history buff, fascinated by history and current events, had a lot to say and did a lot of reading and research into things like um, UFOs. And um, he also was a lawyer. Um, at one point, I remember reading this. I don't remember exactly what year it was, but at one point while he was at Washington State, 
where he had a very successful run, made them a very relevant uh, program. They had been a, kind of an afterthought, and he made them into a very relevant program. At one point, the university said that, or I think he asked, and and the university gave him um, permission to teach a history class. And um, he jokingly said, hopefully enough people will register for the class to be added to the schedule because you have to have X number of students uh, interested or they cancel the class. And it was a class that could accommodate 100 um, students. So he was just hoping to get 100 registrants. Over 40,000 people tried to get into Mike Leach's history class. And as a result, um, they uh, had to do like a, a drawing or a lottery to uh, t- to get him to, to get to the 100 students that could accom- be accommodated in that classroom. So um, he was extraordinary on the field and, and really uh, off the field. I know we played some of it uh, yesterday. Um, well, here he is talking. In fact, he has, he had a lot of thoughts about, uh, aliens and whether or not there's a Bigfoot. This was at a, uh, either pre or post game news conference with coach Mike Leach, cut number six. Take a listen to this. We've found bones of dinosaurs and everything else, but we haven't found bones that I've heard of, of Bigfoot. It'd be fun if there's Bigfoot. I hope there's Bigfoot, but, uh, my guess is there is not. Aliens, I suspect there is, and I don't know that they're they're little green men, and I don't know that they're specifically um, in our galaxy. To me, it's always been naive. You know, um, on Earth they say, oh, well, we're the only ones. We're, I mean, really, why? Have you been to the other planets? Have you checked out the other planets? I mean, to me, it makes, it makes more sense that if it happened here, it happened somewhere else than it does that it only happened here. I mean, everybody wants to be special, but I don't think we're that special. No, not that special. He, um, you could get him on any subject. Um, I think we played the uh, marital advice one uh, yesterday. Did we, Don? I think we did. Or am I remembering wrong? We did not. Okay, we got to play that one. So uh, this is Mike Leach talking about what happens to women when you get married. Listen to this. The women lose their mind. Your fiance is going to lose her mind. Your mother-in-law is going to lose her mind. Your mom is going to lose her mind. Several of your sisters and uh, female relatives are going to lose their mind, and um, and they're going to they're going to barrage you with constant questions. What should we wear? And then, uh, which of course, my answer was, I don't care. And then, uh, what color should the invitations be? I don't care. Uh, what should we have for dessert? I don't care. Should we seat this this way or th- that that way? I don't care. And, but see, I don't care is not satisfactory at all. And you're going to get caught in a catch-22, and I'm certain that you already have. And that catch-22 is, well, I want you to be a part of this too. Uh, so what color invitations? Um, all right, the blue ones. Well, I kind of like uh, I kind of like the tan ones. 
Okay, the 10 ones then. Oh, you're just saying that because uh, 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 you want this over with. You're not even thinking about it, which is, of course, true. Uh, what do you want for dessert? I was thinking of strawberry shortcake. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, strawberry shortcake would be good. Well, what about the blueberry pie? Well, I like the blueberry pie. We could have the blueberry pie. Well, I thought you said you wanted the strawberry shortcake. And it's just going to go back and forth, and they're going to play keep away from you until uh, after you're married. There's no answer you can give that is going to be satisfactory or correct. And if you successfully uh, please a few of them, the others will still be, oh, well, I just don't feel like he's that interested. Yeah, okay, so so you need to work late, uh, go in the back room and read a lot of books, uh, take the groomsmen out so you make sure that they march in just right and they know exactly, you know, these swell outfits that you picked out or whatever, however you're doing it. Um, and in the end, you'll wish you a lope. Uh, you need to find um, excuses uh, that they'll buy uh, to be as far out of harm's way as you possibly can. <laughs> yeah, there you go. He won 158 games as a head football coach, and I'm not even sure that was his greatest talent. We'll always remember Mike Leach. How much of the state's $27 billion surplus should go to property tax relief? The governor ran on the promise that half of it would go. And uh, now other Republican leaders are doubting that and saying it shouldn't be that much. Uh, we'll see how you vote. And you can do that when you call the show at 210-599-5555. Or uh, you can vote in the JR poll at KTSA.com. A lot of stuff going on today. We've been uh, uh, kind of combing through the news and the headlines. And if you have not heard um, that... Uh, Non-binary Deputy Assistant Secretary of Energy Sam Brinton was let go today by the Department of Energy. This is the uh, person who, um, for uh, at least two times that we know of in the last couple of months, is accused of stealing a woman's suitcase from an airport luggage carousel. I'm using the word woman in the traditional definition of it just so you'll know i want you to be able to follow the show when i use that word i'm going by the way we used to define that i know that the cambridge international dictionary has come out and said there's a much more broad pardon the pun definition (laughs) but anyway um in both cases sam brinton was flying but not checking a suitcase so it's one thing, we, we maybe have all had the experience when you're at the airport and maybe you're tired and you've got a headache or you had a bad flight or you're preoccupied or you're trying to call Uber or whatever, you, you might at first pick up the wrong bag. You may even have started to walk away with the wrong bag. But that's because you had a bag and this one looks like yours. You don't go to the baggage carousel when you haven't checked a bag. In fact, you're happy that you don't have to go to the baggage carousel, right? When you don't have to pick up checked luggage, that's a good thing. No one makes that mistake. And therefore, it's not a mistake that twice he walked away with a very expensive designer piece of luggage filled with women's clothing and and furnishings and then hot-footed it out of the airport. It's not just that someone has stolen. It's who that someone is. 
A person like Sam Brinton is brought into a senior government role despite his own well-known history. So when he first came into public prominence about 12, 13, 14 years ago, he was telling a story. This is at the time he was in his, I think, early 20s. He was saying that as a child in the 1990s, he had been a victim of gay conversion therapy. He was interviewed by multiple media. He became an international spokesperson against gay conversion therapy. No one asked him to prove the stories that he was telling, such as he had been electrocuted and been injected and other abuses. He was taken at his word in telling these stories because these were things the people hearing them wanted to run with. He gave a speech to a United Nations convention in 2014. He became one of the most prominent LGBTQ activists, telling a story that, again, was never verified and that he himself could not verify. Not everyone in the LGBTQ community was buying it. And some started pointing out that there were holes in the story and contradictions in the story. And Brinton's response to that was, well, if I've made any mistakes, it's because the gay conversion therapy, you know, fouled up my memory. So not, I'm lying, but I, I, I am even more of a victim. By the time that Team Biden found Sam Brinton, there were a lot of people in the LGBTQ community who were saying, we need to be very careful with this guy because our credibility on issues like campaigning against gay conversion therapy is at stake if he's perceived as our spokesman, spokesperson. But of course, the Biden team did the same thing that many people in the LGBTQ community did. They saw someone who represented something that they wanted to identify with. They weren't really interested about the details or whether he could back it up. They were determined to be able to say, we made the first appointment of a non-binary, gender-fluid individual to a high-cabinet government position, and they did. It's probably safe to say that without that identity, Sam Brinton would not have passed a security check, would not have passed muster, would not have seemed like someone you would take a chance on, not, not only because you're entrusting him with a um, high-value portfolio at the Department of Energy, spent uh, nuclear fuel as a very sensitive uh, national security issue, but also you don't want the embarrassment of somebody that may you know, flame out on you. I really think and I think that the time will bear me out on this, that the reason he got as far as he did, the reason he he got the job and didn't get the scrutiny that would have prevented him from getting the job 
was so they could say we have the first gender-fluid person to serve in the U.S. federal government. Well, okay, they can say that. But now what does that really mean? I said earlier in the show, if you never knew anyone, if you had never even heard the terms non-binary, the only example of it you know, the only person you've ever heard of or seen, is Sam Brinton. What kind of an impression is that? What kind of a first impression or ambassador is that? Look, it's not up to me. I'm not, I'm not running the, the, the show, but it would seem to me that if you are LGBTQ and you're active politically and you're advocating for your rights, you would want the people that represented you, you would want the face of your um, community to be a face that was impressive and accomplished. And instead, you've gotten a face that is a liar and a fabricator and a self-promoter and apparently, allegedly, larcenous. I don't see how that's a win. If you're going to be the first, you need to be extraordinary. Because if you're extraordinary, being the first opens the door to others. If you're the first and you're awful, doesn't it have the opposite effect? Isn't it a setback? Does that make sense? But this is a dilemma that I think we have in this era of virtue signaling. When somebody recites the right facts or recites the right victim status, a lot of people will suspend their better judgment. People that you and I could not easily fool on something else will let themselves be fooled. They'll let themselves suspend belief or scrutiny. That's what I think happened here. People were ready to accept his tales of persecution and victimhood. He was celebrated. He was made into an icon. And all it would have taken was a little diligence to see that he wasn't worthy of that status. And he certainly was not somebody that you would put in a security position at the Department of Energy. This is a bigger problem than just Joe Biden or Biden's administration. We, we have got to get our heads around this. There is a huge difference between saying, I'm going to be kind to people. I'm going to accept them as they are. I'm not, I may not understand them. I may not get them, but I'll, I'll, you know, I'll let them live their lives and stay out of their way and give them their, their, their way. Versus enabling grifters and crooks and posers. That is not tolerance or respect or progress or any of that. And I would say that about any, you could name your group. You could name your, your, uh, segment or sliver of society. I would say the same thing. Okay. I mean, I'm, look, I'm Italian American. I'm a third generation, uh, removed from immigrant from immigrants the first italian to do this or the first italian to do that carried with him or her the hopes of all italians that they would be good at what they did that they would be honest at what they did because we all knew and you know it about your ethnic or racial group as well that if they're not that's a mark on all of us this is very simple we get this didn't happen in this case 
Deck the halls with boughs of holly, fa la 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 la. Tis the season to be jolly, fa la 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 la. Gone we now our gay apparel, fa la 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 la. Told the ancient Yuletide carol, fa la 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 la. A KTSA, San Antonio's news talk station, Jack Riccardi. You can jump in here, join us at 210-599-5555. I was just thinking, Don Cooper, um, we're getting to the point in the calendar where we have to, um, we have to schedule our other big annual event in December. We had Rappin' with Jack a week ago tonight. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that always happens in December, for those listeners that have been with us for a Mm -hmm. while, is our annual worst Christmas song of all time show. Oh, my gosh. You might say it's breaking news. <laughs> Love the way you had that. Just uh, I had ago. it just, uh-huh. It was He's just kind of dangling there. He's got on that there. button all year long. Uh, He's waited for now. So, since 4 o'clock. So <laughs> we, we usually do it, I think, the week, pretty much like the week leading up to Christmas or thereabouts, right? So that would be next week. Yeah, I think, uh, what, uh, we looking about, uh, what, Wednesday maybe? I'm thinking like a week from tomorrow. Okay. How's that sound? That'll work. It works for me. I like it. Um, Can we wait that long? If you're new to our show, I'll, I'll, I'll explain more <laughs> when we get closer, but if you're new to our show, it sounds hyperbole to say it's the worst Christmas song of all time, but I think we can say it with with definition. It, it actually is. It's there's Once you hear it, you won't... You won't wonder if I'm exaggerating. And we have mm-hmm. some other things built in around it. We're going to count down to it because there's some other songs out there that are pretty, pretty horrific. Uh, but then when you get to the worst one, you realize it's in a category all by itself. Yes, it is. Nice <laughs> so, I just love that. <laughs> yeah, that all by itself. That could, that could be a show all by itself. But anyway, um, so yeah, week. I think a week from, uh, let's say a week from tomorrow, so next Wednesday okay. in our 6 o'clock hour. I, I, can't, good? I can't wait. And, you'll never, uh, no, and you'll, can't wait. you will never forget the worst Christmas song of all time. That's true. That's true. I love, I always love, uh, there's always somebody that challenges me. Oh, come on now. You can't be that. And then they hear it and they're like, oh, you weren't kidding. Remember a few years ago when Dennis Foley joined our staff, our news director. He was that way. He was like, "Yeah, I'm not. You know, come on. How can how can one song be so much worse?" Mm-hmm. Than, and then it makes a believer out of you. <laughs> so we've got uh, that coming up. We don't, and we uh, we've been doing this for many years, and we absolutely we do not play this song any other time. We never. It, it's in a vault. It it doesn't come out because I, it it's the kind of thing that should really only be heard. Once a year, just to establish that it's there, mm-hmm. and then and put then away. We, we lock it up. We lock it up again. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get played. Doesn't get played elsewhere. Doesn't get. Play, I don't really think anybody in the world plays it. I. So it's, it's an actual song. I mean, it was. It came out on a record label and everything. And and what is it co- kind of? And what is it We're called? kind of keeping it. We're keeping it alive, and we're um, protecting people from it at the same time. I feel like it's almost like those. You know, they have like a like a vicious animal in captivity. You know, like we have it, we have it so people know it's there, but we make sure nobody gets hurt. It's called an old fashioned Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> you won't want to ride a bus after you've heard this song. Just leave it at that. 
Uh, speaking of Christmas, um, there's been a controversy in the news uh, last few days uh, out of um, Massachusetts. Um, a library in Dedham, Massachusetts, had um, announced that there would be no Christmas tree because the librarian uh, said that, um, named Lisa Desmond, had posted on Facebook earlier this month, no tree because, quote, people were made uncomfortable last year looking at it. People were made uncomfortable last year looking at it. A Christmas tree. You know, I realize there are people that don't celebrate Christmas. I have friends that are of other faith traditions or are just not believers. Um, None of them are unable to look at a Christmas tree. They have been in my home. I have a Christmas tree right in the living room. Big as life. Can't miss it. Got to walk around it. Nobody's having an issue with that. To my knowledge, um, I, I grew up in a, in a very heavily Jewish uh, suburb of Boston when I was a kid. A lot of Jewish friends. Christmas tree, no big deal. A lot of them were kind of envious of it. This, to me, is a completely made-up phenomenon And I don't even think it's, I know you're probably going to disagree with me. I don't even think it's made up out of a, out of, out of a hostility to Christmas or Christmas trees. I really think when people get up on this bandwagon, it is simply to be able to say, look what we did. Look at the cancellation we did. Look at the, look at the power we wielded. It's the same thing with these people that Elon Musk is exposing inside of Twitter. They're, they're, they're little, fascist brats. It's not that they believe in something and they're just fervent about it and you got to respect that they're so dedicated to their beliefs. They're just getting high. They're just getting off on power. And when you can go around telling people, you notice there's no no Christmas tree in the library this year, the Dedham Library this year, you know, I, I did that. Yeah. I, I, I told them they couldn't have it this year. That's the power of this whole thing. It's not, I'm sorry, because I know that Fox News tells you it's a war on Christmas and it's about uh, hating baby Jesus and all that, and I'm sure there are people who do, don't get me wrong, but I really think the driver here is spoiled fascist brats. Remember those three words, SFB. They just like being able to say, that they took something down. They're not talented enough to invent something, create something, put something up. I mean, we saw this in 2020 with all the statues and the names of things being stripped away. When you know you're not going to make a mark with your talent and your creativity, when you know that you're not going to be remembered for what you gave the world or made, then the only other way you can have notoriety or feel like you're important is by taking down something that somebody else did or made or does. That's what this is. So these stories always follow a certain pattern. So over the last several days, there's been this controversy about the Dedham Library. Um, Channel 5 up there in Boston reporting uh, last night. Oh, 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 it was a misunderstanding. Oh, no, no, we, we're, we're going to have a Christmas tree. 
There's no ban on the Christmas tree. We will continue to review decorations and displays to make sure they are welcoming and reflective of our entire community. But no, we didn't ban it, and no, we're not going to. So they, they flinch if they're confronted, and that's what you have to do. And I'm glad they did it. And for crying out loud, a Christmas tree, I mean, really. You know, it's not, it's probably more pagan than Christian, right? I mean, it's a, it's a tree. It may be the only tree that liberals don't love and want to hug and save. The only one they've ever found they didn't like. Five fifty and one zero seven one KTSA Jack Riccardi. If you haven't yet voted in the JR poll, you can find it at KTSA.com. Have you? Uh, how much of the state's uh, twenty seven billion dollars surplus do you want to see go to property tax relief? All of the surplus, half of the surplus, none of it. We'll see how you voted coming up here in a few minutes on today's JR poll. You know, I have to laugh. This library in Massachusetts that was not going to do a Christmas tree and then decided to do one or maybe maybe got cowed into doing one. All these workplaces that don't want Christmas trees and don't want um, Christmas decor, how many of them you want to bet, how many of these places you want to bet, have an ugly Christmas sweater contest? That is one of the dumbest things <laughs> I have ever seen, and it has spread like uh, chicken pox. It's all over the place. Everybody's got it. Everybody's doing it. When it started, it was because people had kind of hokey-looking sweaters or their aunt gave them a sweater with a reindeer on it. And then it got to the point where stores are now selling, like it says right on the display, ugly Christmas sweaters. You know, it was supposed to be something people already had, and now they, they sell them. It's like a Halloween spinoff. But if Christmas is so offensive... Why can you have the ugly Christmas sweater contest? You know, it's bogus, right? I mean, it's just, it's just, it's not about Christmas as much as it's about somebody wanting to wield or feel the power of cancellation. You and I can't relate to this because that's not what we get up in the morning to do. It's not what gets us out of bed in the morning. But there are people who know they're never going to give the world anything or leave behind anything worth remembering them for. And so in their mind, being able to tear something down is the closest thing they can come to leaving a mark. You would think leaving a mark would be putting something up, establishing something, filling an empty space, filling a need, creating something of beauty or or value. But if you know you're not going to be able to do that because you're kind of adult, then the next best thing is destruction. And I'll even go a little further. I I think that the same impulse that often leads to people committing horrific crimes, because, look, it's horrible. We can't relate to it. We can't imagine why they do it. But in these people's minds, they're thinking, you will remember my name. I w- you will not be able to forget me. You will not forget this day. You will not forget my name. I'm not saying the people that are canceling the Christmas tree are serial killers. I'm just saying it's that same thinking. I can be known for this. I can be remembered. 
Or at least I can brag that I did it. And there's something else I think that's happening. We talked a little bit yesterday about Christmas and the things people hate about Christmas. You know, I was I I did a lot of reflecting on what people said, and it seems to me that I, I love Christmas, and so it's hard for me to to sort of understand or 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 um or share those sentiments. But but I can see this. It is hard to love this holiday or this season in a secular way. You can do it. I mean, you can make of it that it's, you know, uh, it's a it's a nice way to end the year. We're kinder to one another. It's it's the onset of winter. I mean, there's ways to sort of construct this without the birth of Jesus Christ and the salvation of the human race, but. It's hard. And I I think what we are seeing is the divorcing of this holiday from its origins, from its actual meaning. And again, I'm not trying to be a zealot about this. I'm not trying to give you a sermon or convert you or anything like that. But I think we have to be honest with ourselves. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to people if they're not celebrating what you and I are celebrating at this time of year. I mean, it's sort of like asking somebody to pick out a dessert at the end of a meal, but then they're not going to get to have any. Who cares, right? (laughs) Why are you asking me what we should have for dessert if I'm not going to get any? And I think that for people that are not, and, and again, I'm not, it's up to you. Your belief system is up to you. But that's one of the problems with this holiday. It, it just, to those of us that can get through the lines and the traffic and the expense and the, the travel, because we are looking at something beyond that and beyond this life, it, it makes it more livable. And when you don't have that, and if your kids don't have that, and if they're not raised with that, then yeah, this sort of becomes a, why do I have to do all this? What am I doing here? <laughs> it seems like it seems like just a list of stuff that has to get done in a very short amount of time. I get that. I do. My uh, best friend, since I was a little kid, and we grew up together, we went to all, through all the grades in grade school together, known as family my whole life, he came to really hate Christmas. And I got a real insight into um, how that could happen because he was somebody just like me. And we had been raised the same way. I mean, very similar, you know, similar families, similar culture. So it can happen, and I, and I, I respect that. And, and we, we asked the question yesterday kind of, you know, sort of tongue-in-cheek, and we were having fun with it. But, but I, I get that this is a... This is kind of a walking over hot coals ordeal for some people, and I, I think we have to understand why that is. And, and I, again, I don't have an answer for you. I'm not. I'm not trying to tell you what you should do or what you should believe, except to say that if you're not connecting the meaning of it with the practices of it, yeah, that it it sort of doesn't add up. It's sort of like you're playing a game, but you don't know the rules. Frosted window panes 
Candles gleaming inside Painted candy canes on the tree Santa's on his way He's filled his sleigh with things Things for you and for me It's that time of year When the world falls in love Christmas song actually written for Frank Sinatra and sung by him very well a number of times and other people as well, the Christmas Waltz. And one of the songs that uh, Ken Slavin did last Tuesday night. In fact, I think, if memory serves me, that might have been the last song at the end of the Rappin' with Jack broadcast. Thanks again, everybody that came out and was a part of that. And thank you, Ken Slavin and the, and the band. On the uh, JR poll tonight, we asked you, how much of the state's $27 billion surplus should go to property tax relief? And here's how you voted across all of our platforms. 52% said half of it should go to property tax relief. 44% said all of it. And 4% said none of it. And we'll have a new JR poll question tomorrow when we get started at 4. You can find it anytime at ktsa.com. You can find our show on demand. Whole podcast episodes of our show available at ktsa.com. Speaking of... Uh, property taxes. Obviously, property taxes are a big part of the budgets of cities and schools. And there was an interesting piece in the Wall Street Journal. I had not thought of this. As you know, um, there is a revolution going on in work with more and more people working remotely. That, in turn, is emptying out office buildings, office towers, off, you know, uh, commercial centers, commercial real estate. So that in turn, as, as, as people are leaving and companies are vacating office space, that's shrinking the values of office buildings. Well, as the values of those office buildings in, in major cities are shrinking, that's a dilemma for the budgets in those cities. Now it hasn't really hit yet. But the journal is saying it's pretty clear that in the coming years, uh, a lot of cities are going to have to make do with a lot less of a tax base. And they're going to be forced to make decisions about what they do about that and what they spend the money on. It, it, it's interesting because I, I really think, you know, we've, we've talked so much about crime and defunding police and we can kind of, on talk radio, we can kind of rail about this stuff. But do you know what's really ultimately going to happen, no matter what you or I or anybody says about it, is people are going to vote with their feet. The biggest change that's going to happen in this country is not going to be a wave election or a new president or Congress. The biggest change that's going to happen in this country is that people are going to move. And they're moving. It's already happening. But that's going to continue, and maybe even in some cases accelerate. And what's going to change us as a country, and I, I, nobody knows if this will be for better or for worse, is that people are going to leave cities because they don't think it's sustainable or safe to live there or affordable, because they don't think they can change it or elect a change candidate, or if they get more involved, maybe they can turn it around. So they're going to start living in places where they feel like they are respected and represented, whether that's suburbs of cities like we're seeing here in San Antonio or whether it's moving to other states 
like Florida. And then whoever is left in these cities will have all the power. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see. It's, this, is, this is the story of our times, not, not really the politicians and the election results, but just the, the movement of people. So, um, but this was interesting. I didn't know you could do this. I'm not sure you can do this. Whoopi Goldberg revealed on The View this week, they were talking about the um, Marilyn Monroe movie that came out this year called Blonde. We talked about it on this show at the time that it came out. It's it's a very interesting movie. It's kind of disturbing. Um, but it's a, it's a novelization of Marilyn Monroe's life. It's not... It doesn't purport to be historically accurate. It imagines her life, really, is what it does. Anyway, they were talking about it on The View the other day, and Whoopi Goldberg revealed that she is determined that there will never be a movie made about her life. In fact, she says that she has left behind legal documents and clauses or codicils in her will that will prevent a biopic from being made about her life. She says they better not try it. I don't know if you can do that, you know? I mean, first of all, Whoopi, I'm not totally sure that, you know, that's going to happen anyway. No offense meant, no malice intended kind of a stretch or kind of a you know assumption you're making but yeah i mean whoopi goldberg is not in marilyn monroe territory can we agree on that is that safe to say am i okay with that yeah i mean marilyn monroe kind of mythical kind of in people's imagination kind of a fantasy figure part real part imagined whoopi goldberg not 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 the same like some like it hot Sister Act, not, not, I'm not seeing that. So I think you're okay. I think you're safe, Whoopi, but I'm glad to know you covered yourself with some legal documents just in case. Good luck with that. Good luck to you and everyone else, and I'll see you back here at four tomorrow.